foolish was the wayfarer who traveled by night. The moon could be a poor and capricious traveling companion, on one hand offering light and guidance, and on the other facilitating the transformation of otherwise sane men into ravening beasts. The darkness that covered the old world is hard to envision now, but it was a tangible thing, heavy and unyielding, unyielding. and candles and hearth fires were pitiful defenses against it. The night sky was an obsidian canopy, spiderwebbed with stars and constellations, and of course, the reliable Milky Way. And if a night-flying bird were to glance down, it would see only darkness as it flew across the old world. Many were the night creatures that roamed the lands after darkness fell. Out of hidden depths, from land and sea, rock and shadow, these legions of the night crept. These vestiges of the Elder World crawled out of their lairs looking for mortals to warm their cold bones and empty stomachs. In Scandinavia there were trolls. In Greece there was the night goddess Nyx, who unleashed her unholy brood after the sun fell, while in Scotland, near the Isle of Skye, roamed a massive being called the Headless Trunk, who killed any men it found on its nightly trek. These, and worse than these, made the night a haven for monsters who only retreated back into the shadows once the almighty sun rose in the heavens. all you fine folks out in the hinterlands. It's your boys, Rock and Max, and we're going to be your guides as we strap on our backpacks and head back to the old world here at Nightmares and Daydreams. What's up, gang? Hello. On this episode, we're getting the passports stamped and heading on across the pond to talk about some monsters. Night creatures, to be precise, Maxie. Scary. As opposed to day creatures? Yo, night creatures are nasty, Max. And I ain't talking about possums either. Ooh, possums are nice. Or is that opossums? <laughs> are those Irish possums? Either way, they're giant rats always crawling on my back fence. As usual, gang, Rock and I are going to be your guides as we trek across ancient moors and long-abandoned trails here at Nightmares and Daydreams. You tell them how adventurous we are, Maxie. <laughs> as is our want, we're going to discuss all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. Yep. And of course, fun. Fun is an important game. <laughs> but tell me, Max, do you want to know what's not funny? I have this strange sense <laughs> that whether I want to know or not, you're going to tell me. You know I am. All right, gang. Minding your own business, making your way through the darkness of night, only to be attacked by night, night creatures. creatures. Okay, Rock. Are night creatures like one specific beast, or are we just lumping a bunch of monsters into that category? You make it sound so, like, haphazard and lazy, man. How I do, son? Listen, night creatures are monsters, gang. And like the opening story stated, they're monsters that roam the night, preying on those foolish enough to be out during the wee hours. Right. But isn't nighttime the right time to be out and about, as you always say? (laughs) Yeah, you know this. You know this, my man. But back in the days of yore... Night was a dangerous time, and folks huddled in their homes with candles lit trying to keep the darkness at bay. And that's what we're talking about on this episode, y'all. In this current world full of light pollution and whatnot, it's hard to imagine how intensely and incredibly dark the night used to be. One can still go out in the wilderness and experience that kind of darkness. 
When it's so damn dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And the stars seem so damn bright up there. It's pretty amazing, actually. But on cloudy nights, that sort of darkness is all-encompassing, y'all. It's a thing that seems alive. Damn right it is. You know, we were in Santa Fe once, and man, you know, the Weiss family had a home on a mountain. Surrounded by wilderness, and I had to go outside to get something out the truck. And dude, that level of dark was intimidating. Like, you start hearing things, and you're like, what's out there? City slicker. Guilty, dude. I was like, all right, okay, there are mountain lines up here. Somebody <laughs> slower than me, come with me. <laughs> That's messed up, dude. <laughs> I kid, dude. But I did get grandma to walk out there with me, man. That's one <laughs> tough old bird. I mean, she's pretty fast in that walker. So what creature of darkness are we talking about first, Rock? So let's talk about dark riders. So are these like dark riders, the nine mortal men doomed to <laughs> die from Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Those are black riders, my man. No, Dark Riders, also called Kluda in Belgium, Offhawker in Germany, and Oshart in Scotland, are beings that jump on a traveler's back, dig their claws in, and won't let go until the sun comes up. What? I know, right? Picture this, y'all. It's night, and you're making your way home along some lonely path. Maybe you got too drunk at the local fair, you know, and you're heading back to the farm. Maybe you got your walking stick. Maybe some sort of protective talisman on your person. And out of nowhere, you feel this immense weight on your back, buckling your knees and almost dragging you to the ground. Kind of like that one stupid friend when you were young that was always coming up behind you and jumping on your back. Yeah, I hated that guy. You know what I'm talking about. But dude, that friend was just like an excited kid, man. These creatures want to turn people into beasts of burden, digging their claws into the unfortunate traveler's back, man, reeking of rot and whispering horrible things in the person's ear telling them to run. Oh, hell no. You know what? I think I'm ready for a story. <laughs> Me too, my man. Once, Kyoto was filled with demons until a noble hero named Raiko decided to rid the city of them. After a relentless campaign, Raiko and his companions began to make headway and the city seemed as if it were coming out of a fog. But then the fiends struck back, felling Raiko with a deadly fever. For many days, his companions guarded him in his chamber as he lay soaked with sweat and beset by strange and horrible nightmares. One night, as Raiko was assaulted by dream after dream, they began to take solid, tangible form. The hero woke to find himself stuck to his pallet by strands of silken thread, while above him was a hellish, giant spider, which glared balefully down at him with glowing red eyes. Yet the hero's companions made no move to protect their master, for they too lay fast asleep, as if by some spell, slack-jawed and dreaming. The demon spider inched closer, its maw lined with tusk-like venom-dripping teeth, opened and closed rhythmically as it descended toward Raiko. Later, he would tell his companions he knew not where the strength to draw his blade came from, perhaps from his ancestors, but draw the blade he did, for he slept with the weapon by his side, he was able to slice the webs that bound him, and with a weak battle cry, he also sliced the front leg off the demon spider, who roared in pain. And with that, the hero could do no more. And shaking with fatigue, he fell back on his pallet and awaited death. Only death did not come. The demon spider fled, 
its wound gushing blood and leaving a trail for Raiko's men to follow. They awoke from their magical slumber as soon as the beast left. Looking down at their lord Raiko, sword in hand and severed spider leg beside him, they feared he must be dead. Swearing vengeance, his men followed the trail of blood to the spider demon's lair and slew the wounded beast. Upon their return, they were elated to find that their lord lived. Raiko's sword was known forever after as Kumokiri, Spider Cutter, and Kyoto became, for a time, free of demons. Giant spiders, no thanks. Oh, she loved Junior and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> I need to settle down. That's the second Lord of the Ring reference I made today. Apologies, folks. Dude, you must you just must be so stoked for the Amazon show to drop. It should be pretty awesome. Dude, with the amount of money that they're spending on it, it better be. That's for sure. Of course. That didn't help the Hobbit, but uh, back to giant spiders. Don't even get me started. All right. Rock no likey bugs, Maxie. Especially giant ones. That's gross. Great story. I love Japanese folklore. Yeah, me too. And yeah, I'd call a giant demon spider a night creature. I think that's fair. 100%, my man. Yokai was a really fun episode, but I would definitely not call the spider demon a yokai. Like, it was too intense. Yeah, yokai seem a bit friendlier, maybe more mischievous. Yeah. Not necessarily deadly. That's I'm probably oversimplifying. I mean, but, but still, that spider had some magical dream-inducing power. It cast sleep on Raiko's henchmen. They all failed their save and crashed out in a magical slumber. Show was sad they didn't serve their lord right. <laughs> <laughs> you failed. Exactly. All right. Let's shift gears back to these dark riders you were talking about. Oh, yeah. They just jump on people's back and ride them around till sunup. Cool, cool, cool. All right. What about them, my man? The whole jumping on a lone traveler's back is very akin to a miling out of Scandinavian and Slavic lore. Yep, yep. Yeah, we talked about that on our World of the Witcher episode, didn't we? Yes, sir. So for those of you out there who haven't heard of a miling, it's the ghost of an unbaptized infant who was discarded and not given proper burial by its parents. Show is sad, man. And like these dark riders, the miling will mount a person's back, becoming heavier and heavier as time passes. Unlike those dark riders, though, the miling only wants to be taken to a graveyard so it can be buried. And if it's not taken to a graveyard, it eventually kills whomever, like, back it's on, right? Yep. That is so not cool, y'all. You spoke earlier of protective talismans. What do we have out there that people in the hinterlands can have on their person if they happen to be out and about at night? You mean, like, besides a taser or the holy hand grenade of Antioch? <laughs> yeah. Maybe give us some real-life options. All right, gang. Say you're out for a day hike in fey-inhabited lands, okay? As you do. So your walking stick should be made out of rowan wood, also called mountain ash, also called Lady of the Mountain. It's a Norse world tree, and it's believed to protect against witchcraft and enchantment, as well as being a plus one weapon, you know, which is always handy. Always good to have a plus one weapon on hand. I mean, just like in general. Like for life, you know. So gang, also St. John's wart picked on Midsummer's Eve was another ward against the dark. And the deal with this is that the flower resembled a miniature sun. So the belief behind it is that this talisman kind of recalled the light of day and that it would offer them the sun's protection even after dark. That's kind of cool. And another plant that offered luck was the ubiquitous four-leaf clover, which resembled the Christian cross. Another one was a simple crust of bread, the so-called staff of life. As the country folks said, 
That holy piece of bread charms the danger and the dread. Who knew bread was so damn good? <laughs> I got something here in my pocket. Right now. A way to protect yourself against the Vajinoi, mm -hmm. the Slavic water lord, was to have a crust of bread in your pocket as well. Mm -hmm. He won't drag you into his river if you do. You know, a crust of bread is cool, but I'd rather have tater tots in my pocket like <laughs> your boy Napoleon Dynamite Maxi. All right, any others? Gang, there's literally too many to name. An iron nail sewed in your cloak, or jacket, or hoodie, or horseshoe, which I suppose, you know, could be used as a weapon too. So tons, obviously. And you know, if all went well on your nighttime trek, all you heard were the normal sounds of the night, you know? Animals doing their thing, night birds calling, the wind blowing through the trees. But if you were unlucky, the night came alive in a very different way, as this tale shows. In the western highlands of Scotland, a hunter, McPhee by name, ran afoul of creatures of darkness. This is his tale. He and his companions, having no luck on this hunt on winter's day, found themselves miles from home as darkness fell. Tending first to their horses, their friends decided to spend the night and to take shelter in a sheiling, the rustic lean-to used to shelter sheep or lost travelers during the winter months. The men built a small fire and roasted the rabbits they had caught. And passing around a jar of whiskey, the small hut soon became warm and merry. McPhee began humming the Puerta Buell, the wordless tune Highlanders were fond of. Soon his companions were dancing in the dark, round and round, clumsy from drink and laughing loudly. McPhee paused for breath and laughed as his companions proclaimed the only thing missing from the night were bonnie maids for them to dance with. Outside the small hut, a wind crashed through the thick forest, making the horses stamp and whinny. The door flew open and the hunters stared. Mouths open as four beautiful maidens stepped lightly in. One fixed McPhee with bright eyes and red-rimmed lips. She sat near him and simply nodded as she put her hands on his shoulders. He nodded and returned to his song. His friends, stone-faced and staring at nothing, as if enchanted, began to dance to his song. But this time, slow and unsteady, for each friend had a maiden clinging to him holding him fast. Not a word was said, only the dainty sound of the woman's clicking feet accompanied McPhee's song as they whirled round and round. The hunter couldn't tell how long he sang or how long his friends danced. Soon his throat dried and the song ceased, and McPhee seemed to snap out of the spell he was under. As his eyes cleared, he was horrified to see that each maiden's mouth was fastened on the neck of his companions, with the blood bubbling at their lips. McPhee howled and fled into the night, and the maiden who was near him soon sprang at him, scratching and hissing, digging her claws into his shoulders. He saw her feet then, and later swore she had the hooves of a deer. He shook her off and stumbled among the tethered horses. He waited for her to finish him, but the attack never came. For some reason, she could not come near the animals, but for the rest of the night, he heard her footsteps and whispered promises of coming death. He stayed there near the horse's warm flanks until the sun was well up. Hesitantly, he left the horses and peered into the shielding, throwing open the door to let the sun in. The fire was out, only coals were left and his hunting companions lay dead. 
bloodless and pale, with torn throats. The old ones in his village said he was lucky to escape the Baobinchi, female vampires who haunted the highlands of Scotland, for few encountered them and lived to tell the tale. From the Enchanted World. Okay, so Scottish Highland vampires with deer's feet? (laughs) Apparently it's a thing, man. The Highlands of Scotland are a mysterious place. Ask Connor MacLeod. So I wonder why horses offer protection. I mean, true. there's nothing in the lore that I come across that explains that away. So McPhee should have been done for. Maybe it was the hoof connection. Maybe the horses were like, yo, us hoofed animals got to stick together. (laughs) Those are called ungulates, Rock. Hoofed animals. Well, check you out. Ain't nothing worse than vampire ungulates, party people. Am I right? <laughs> well, the good thing is that they can't sneak up on you, right? All clicking and clopping like clever Hans. Roll your moves silently, vampire ladies. Clever Hans? Yeah, yeah. He's that horse that did math. Hashtag horse genius. You remember him, right? All right. And moving on. I guess you don't. <laughs> and as you said earlier, the night, especially in ancient times, was fraught with peril. And lonely travelers weren't the only ones in danger, gang. Sometimes, night creatures invaded hearth and home, and adults weren't the only ones in danger. Maxie, I'm only going to tell you this once, my man. Leave the kids alone. (laughs) (laughs) Infants in Bulgaria were visited by a night hag with the head of an ox and breath that could kill. If the baby was unprotected by iron or prayer, the creature would enter a cottage, find the child's room, and spread its foul breath on the baby. Then these poor children would waste away for several more days, sadly dying. Damn. In Poland, the Nachnitsa, also known as the Night Hag, would enter and torment infants if their mothers neglected to bless them before bed. Bless your kids, y'all. Don't take but a minute. Then you can go binge your damn period dramas. Sheesh, come on. <laughs> the Nachnitsa would tickle, poke, prod, and then begin sucking blood from their tiny veins. Oh, hell no. She was also a bringer of pestilence and disease. And she wasn't the only one. Kids know, gang. I mean, they got sharp eyes and ears and think back to when you were a kid. They got that sixth sense. True. They see things other people don't. Mm-hmm. Another creature that tormented kids was raw head and bloody bones. Hmm, sounds pretty damn creepy. So, like, what's up with this guy? Well... Or dudes. Is there two? No, nah, it's, it's one. According to the lore, this night creature... Waited for children as they descended the stairs in the middle of the night. Oh, man. Its long arms would snatch them up, pull them through the stairs if they were foolish enough to be out of bed during the witching hour. Damn, kids. Listen, bring your snacks to bed before you go to sleep, okay? Don't go down them stairs. That's all kind of nope right there, gang. All right, Maxie, you ready for another story? I'm on it. The old ones say it's dangerous to mourn too long for the dead. Sometimes the dead hear our lamentations and answer them in their own way. In the days of Prussian kings, a woman, Lenore by name, lost her lover, a handsome, strong young man who was pressed into service and forced to fight in one of the never-ending wars of that time. Under the stern gaze of the king's officers, his regiment marched to the south. And for long months, Lenore heard nothing. Eventually, however, soldiers began to return, slowly but surely. 
She saw men she recognized from her village, some missing arms or legs, some blinded, but all happy to be home and away from the carnage of war. Yet her lover never returned. If he had passed on the battlefield, she never knew it. She only knew he had never returned to her as he had promised. She shut herself in her room, crying, pacing. She neither saw nor heard anything. She ate but little, and her family feared for her. At night, she whispered for death to take her. She whispered for her lover to keep his promise. Death never came, but one cold winter night, something else did. She heard horses' hooves on the cobblestones in front of her house. A voice called her name. It was her lover's voice. She was outside in a flash, hugging him, kissing him. He was strangely stiff and no expression on his face. Ride with me, he stated, more in order than anything. I will take you to our marriage bed. She eagerly obeyed and despite wearing only her night shift, she mounted the coal black stallion and placed her arms around her lover's waist. The stars glittered in the night sky as the horse bolted out of the village. An owl cried in the distance. As she held on to her lover, she shivered, for he felt so cold, so very cold, and a rank, sweet smell came from his clothing and hair. She called his name, hoping to make conversation. She had so many questions. We ride swiftly as we must to reach the place before cock crow. They slowed at last, after riding for hours, and the horse entered a churchyard. Black-robed figures crowded around the horse and pulled Lenore off, tearing her shift, pulling her hair, bringing her roughly to the ground. Her lover lay on the earth next to her. His uniform, she noticed for the first time, was rotten and bloody. His face contorted into a cold grin. Do you like our wedding party? He asked. Our wedding bed? Our wedding bed. He pointed to her feet and the earth opened. Lenore screamed from the Enchanted World. Poor Lenore, man. You know, gang, she had herself a demon lover. Show is sad. Some malign spirit, that's for sure. Reckon she mourned a bit too long, I guess. Maybe it was because she kept telling him to keep his promise. Who knows, gang? One thing I know, we are done, y'all. Yeah, we are. You ain't lying, Maxie. Gang, with that last bit of lore, we are done. So thanks for hanging out with your boys during these trying times. As we say every damn week, you know we appreciate it. And if you folks appreciate what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast. One way would be to go to buymeacoffee.com and search Nightmares Podcast for a delicious one-time donation. We need our caffeine, y'all. Also, gang, if you're of a mind, head on over to patreon.com forward slash nightmares podcast to support your boys. We got some fun bonus content, gang. And tears start at a buck a month, and you can cancel anytime. We've been getting some nice messages in regards to the production and music of our pod. Thank you, guys. And we have the best bard in the business, Teresa Joy, to thank for that. Mm-hmm. Find and follow her at Viobrite. That's at V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E on Facebook and Instagram. And find more amazing music at her own website, teresajoymusic.com. And that's Teresa spelled T-E-R-E-S-A, 
just so there's no confusion, gang. Finally, y'all head on over to our own damn website at nightmarespodcast.net and holler at your boys. We have a specific place that, you know, says, hey, holler at your boys. So (laughs) click there and get us. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and... Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.